Hello and welcome to episode 156 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Today, Bub and I, it's edition number 60, 60 Bub and the Batflip. Bub and I are going to be delving into our early season previews uh, this week with shortstop. Um, definitely a very deep position, but I think as we cover it, it's it's an interesting position because I don't think there are a ton of opportunities for um, early value necessarily, but but there are some late. So definitely an interesting uh, position preview. I hope you enjoy it. Um, before I get moving a little bit, um, I did want to just give a little shout out. This week, you know, we always say if you like the podcast, give a five star rating and review. Uh, Bubba on his Bench with Bubba podcast. If you leave a rating and review, he's got 12 different prizes that he's given out. Uh, incredible prizes for people um, who leave uh, ratings and reviews. So uh, what I would ask is for folks who have left a review for this podcast or for people who haven't, please do go to the Bench with Bubba version of the podcast. Leave a, a rating and review um, for Bubba, a five-star rating and review for Bubba. Hit him up on Twitter. Show him that review at BDNTrek. Um, and you will get uh, entered into winning that competition. More importantly, we give Bubba some love, which he uh, is more than deserving of. So definitely do that. Uh, a great opportunity um, to, to show some love for Bubba and also to get some prizes potentially um, while doing that. Um, all right. You can reach me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Bubba is available, at, as I mentioned before, at BDNTrek. Uh, let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 60, your 2021 early shortstop preview. Like usual, top 10 NFBC ADP since uh, November 1st, draft champions. Give you some two targets from range 11 through 20, then some later round targets, and a ton of listener questions that you guys came through with yet again with some awesome questions. You can check out me on Twitter at BDNTrick and my co-host, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how you doing, man? Uh, we're doing all right, Bubba. Um, I'm currently, for those of you watching the stream, I'm currently wearing a Blue Jays hat, uh, which I really like a lot, but is way too small uh, for my head. And so I'm just fit, wearing it. Fit it fit the baby Blue Jays. It, it fit the baby <laughs> Blue Jays. It's super uncomfortable. I lose circulation in my head when I wear it. So I've got to return it. But I just wanted to make a point because I yeah. tweeted about this, about how hat sizes for fitted hats are so off. Like I wear a seven and a quarter normally. This is a seven and a quarter. I sometimes have to wear a seven and three eighths, but this is a seven and three quarter right here. And then the, my Padres hat, which I also recently bought, is also seven and three quarters. And it's like a little big, maybe even. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's a frustrating thing to purchase a hat online. I got another hat, too small again. So it's just, you I know, feel your like pain. I almost bought. I almost bought three different hats on. Uh, uh, was it Black Friday, whatever they call it? Yeah. And uh, I literally had them in my cart, and then at the very end, I was like, I really don't want to deal with the hassle. I really don't want to. Like, I know once things get back to normal, they have it's the baseballism guys. They have a store right across from AT and T Park. I'm like, I can all walk in and figure it out because mm -hmm. I just I don't want to deal with it. Just don't don't want to do it. So it, it sucks. Like like someone in your your uh, thread mentioned the flex fits. That's what I rock like crazy. The the large, extra large flex fits. Steve, Steve like, I think they, said they, that. they work perfectly for my big melon. Mm -hmm. It's uh it's what I, I use quite often. So 
I know I have such a hard time changing. I just grew up with fitted hats, you know. Well, so did I, and, and you can't you can't get the good like baseball hats. Uh, yeah, with the, they're not as fit. thick, you know. Yeah. It's like like yeah. I still I still have my like I have a San Jose Giants hat. I have my San Francisco Giants hats, and I'm a seven and three quarters guy. And once you sweat them a little bit, they start shrinking, and it's just it's a bad deal. Yeah. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's Man, what, get it together, happy Yeah, members. come on, people. Technology these days. But uh, that's a whole other topic. We can do that in the, the off season when we, <laughs> when we go that route. But uh, we're going to do shortstops tonight. And as I said, uh, top 10 is by far the deepest position, I believe still the deepest position in fantasy. It's weird, though, when I've dug in on this. And I don't know if you feel any – you know, you, you've done a draft or two now, I believe. And you've looked at the player pool and whatnot. Last year, it was by far and away you could go deep, deep, deep at shortstop. This year, it feels like when you get past 20 to 25, it doesn't feel as comfortable as it was last year to me, whereas other positions we talked about first base feels a little deeper. Not great, but deeper. Um, we'll talk about third base. has a similar feel to first base to me. So what's your thoughts on shortstop? Is it as deep as it once was, or, or do you have different feelings on it this year? Yeah, I have very different feelings about it this year, actually. Um, I, I agree with you that I, that it's deep. Um you know, I think it goes pretty deep, although, you know, I mean, there's no end to the depth or, I mean, there is an end to the depth, right? You reach a certain point and you're kind of like, eh, yeah. I just, I don't really like this a lot, but I think what I really don't like about the position this year is the value. Yeah. I think there's very little value to be had early on at shortstop. So there's a ton of really great players, but I think Tim Anderson is a really great example, right? Like last year, I mean, he's pretty much the same guy. He did pretty much the same thing in 2020 that he did in 2019. So maybe we have a little bit larger of a sample size, but he was going around pick 60, you know, I mean, anywhere from like, depending on when you were drafted, anywhere from like 60 to 80 last year, right? Where you felt like, ah, I could get a couple rounds of value here, maybe with the batting average, the stolen bases and just the overall production that he provides. Now he's going to pick 35, yep. you know? And so, and, and he's what, whatever shortstop, gosh, I should, nine. I should, he's nine. He shorts, he's shortstop nine and he's going <laughs> at 35. It's crazy. And so it's just like, and so I really struggle because I love him as a player. I love everything he does. I love what he contributes, but I don't see a ton of room for value there at all. Not that you're necessarily that you're not really looking for value that much at that point. And I think that's what I just kind of need to get over with is just, mm -hmm. you know, the lack of comfort knowing that could have gotten him earlier, but it's just one example where, you know, I look at my spreadsheet and I have kind of like, what is the, what is the dollar value and what is the rank of the player versus what ADP is? And all of the early shortstops are all negative, right? Except for Adalberto Mondesi. But again, we kind of know like with the projection, if you, if you know you're going to get the projection, then he's a bargain, but mm -hmm. there's just so much that goes into drafting him as well from a variance perspective. So it's just a position where I like some of the later end guys. And I think I'll probably find myself getting drafting more from there um, and, and skipping over the early guys, not because they're not good, but just because I think, you know, there may be an opportunity where there's guys with a little higher ceiling where, than what, than what some of those guys are going at. But I got to dive in a little bit deeper, which is, I guess is why we're having this podcast, right? That's what we're doing this for. And uh, I've noticed it in the two drafts. I've, I've completed one. I'm in the middle of another and I'm going to do some more here pretty soon, but, uh, and I'll, I'll give more thoughts on this later. Cause we have some questions based kind of on, later round targets and different uh, philosophies that will kind of intertwine it all. But it's a much different position to draft this year, kind of like you were sitting at that. Like the Dansby Swansons, he's the 12th shortstop off the board, and he's a top 100 pick. 
Like that's that was a guy we all circled last year, you know, post 20 shortstop. Let's get him. Mm. Yeah, that ain't there. But Dave Petrozello, he asked us a question on that. Like we have a lot of uh, questions that will help us open up the shortstop position. So uh, we won't delve any further into that now. We'll get to that throughout the pod and at the end. But uh, let's start out with the number one shortstop off the board. And like you said, there's if you think about it, nine shortstops in the top 35, you throw in starting pitchers. I'm just off top of my head with 70% of the picks are pitchers or shortstops out, out the gate, uh, which is pretty wild. But um, we start off with uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. He's ADP3 overall. He's the number one shortstop off the board. We know how talented he is. What are your thoughts on Mr. Tatis Jr.? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's really, really good. <laughs> um, you should draft him early on in drafts. I mean, there's not a lot to add. I, I think, um, you know, I, I think, I think we got like, you know, the power and the speed. I think are pretty clear, right? Like he's barring injury. You know, he's going to provide those in spades. I think the major, the major factor about like how high his value ends is going to be the batting average, right? He's in a very good lineup. He's going to score a ton of runs, score a ton of RBI. You know. Um, he's going to be really, really good. I think what will determine where he kind of ends up in the grand scheme of things is that batting average. And I think we've seen kind of two ends of the spectrum, maybe, uh, you know, he had a, I know he had an ungodly Babbitt. What was it? It was 410 in his rookie year. And then last year it was 306. And I mean, the guy does not strike me as a 306 Babbitt guy. You know what I'm saying? Like he had some, some improvements in his contact rate last year. Um, you know, which is really nice and his O swing as well. So he was chasing less outside the zone, actually better than league average. Right. And I think because of the way he plays, we think of him as being kind of this erratic guy, maybe a little bit, but you know, he's looking for pitches in the zone. He's waiting for pitches in the zone. He's making more contact potentially because of that. And, um, you know, as a result, you know, I think, I think he probably ends up closer to 300 than the 277 from this past year. I think he's really good. I mean, I think there's a, an argument to be made between him and, and Acuna in the sense that I think Tatis Jr. is going to have a better batting average, um, generally speaking, than Acuna will just because of the, the strikeout rates. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're pulling at straws at this point in time. You know, he's great. Top three pick easy if you're, you're going to go with a hitter. Um, yeah. So Toby will not own any Fernando Tatis Jr. Put it that way. <laughs> exactly. um, the, the only, if, if I got to play devil's advocate here, and just for discussion purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, he his chase rate declined this year, which is outstanding. But his chase contact rose almost 20% from last year. So he was making much more contact outside of the zone, and his whiff rate dropped 8%, uh, which is kind of an odd correlation. Well, I guess not because he's making more contact outside the zone. If you're not making as much contact outside the mm-hmm. zone, probably swinging and missing more. So that's where it's a, a weird deal. He swung and missed more and made less contact when he had a 410 Babbitt. Now he's making more contact, but swinging and whiffing less and making a lower Babbitt. Um, there's just questions I have with uh, with Tatis overall. Like his weak contact rate mm. was 0.6% last year, where he made more contact outside the zone compared to 3.1. So he's still an amazing player. I have no problem guys taking him third overall. I'm just trying to pick at little things that make me kind of scratch my head. Like how does that correlate? If say mm-hmm. he takes a step back in this rate, like say his chase contact goes back closer to the forty-two percent, not the sixty-one percent, now what do we start to see with Fernando Tatis Jr.? That's yeah. all it is. Like it's just little nitpicky things. Like you said, you can't go wrong with him as a first-round pick for sure. 
probably not as a top five pick, depending on what you want to do. You can make arguments for a lot of guys for a lot of reasons. Um, I took him in the best ball draft that's going on right now. And I believe I think at the seventh pick or whatever it was, he fell mm. to there. So I took him. Wow. I just had to. Like I've never, I've never owned him, and I've, I usually won't. But he fell to seven. I was like, okay, I want to go pitching heavy. Pitching went heavy, so I, I took Tatis. So I'm like, I'm going to do this. But um, yeah, he's not a guy I usually target that high in the draft, and I, I might regret it. But I just had to throw some of the devil's advocate stuff out there because it just kind of stood know. out. It stood out kind of like that's that's a big gap in production for kind of the opposite production you'd think you would have type situation. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of weird to me, but yeah, that was all. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the O contact piece that strikes me as kind of a small sample size True. thing. Um, like I, I think one thing that's super helpful is he now has 629 plate appearances in the majors, mm-hmm. 301 batting average, you know, 39 home runs, 27 stolen bases you know, Steamer hasn't projected at a 285 average. I think that that's, that's fine. Like, I think maybe expect that, but I do think that there's upside on that average too. But it's a really good point you make. I mean, you know, we, we also don't have that big of a sample, right? So we're kind of left and half of it comes in in a weird year. Yeah, um, a weird year. But yeah, you said Steamer, 285, 39 homers, 26 steals. That's outstanding. That's, yeah. man, you give me 25, 40. <laughs> that's, that's pretty freaking awesome. So uh, yeah, he's, he's going to be, he's going to be very, very good. As you say, like we don't really have to go too deep on him. But the next guy on the board, the second shortstop off the board, one of my favorites, and people are finally drafting him this way. Trey Turner is the second shortstop off the board. Ooh. We're going to pick six or seven. Trey Boo Boo. Trey Boo Boo. Uh, there's not just one Trey Boo Boo. There's two Trey Boo Boos. There you go. In your life. Yes, there is. Yes, there is in my life. There are two Trey Boo Boos. He's back this year. So it brings a little tear to my eye. It's good for him. Yeah, that's nice. But, but um, if you guys don't know who that is, you haven't listened long enough. Um, but Trey Turner. What are, you, what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Come on. This podcast evening? should be number one in your Spotify year in review <laughs> podcast. All right. Get with the program, people. Very simple. Um, but Trey Turner, it's, it's interesting with him because we saw him stay healthy. Uh, this year, played 59 games, 12 homers, 12 steals, and everyone was knocking his slow start with the, you know, not stealing many bags. And I kept saying, just slow down, he'll be fine, because he was actually banged up to start the year, so he didn't want to steal bags, and he got healthy, and there he goes. So that that's what he can do when he had that kind of ability. And we saw the power upside that he really does bring that up and kind of preaching on this show for a long time that he has it. Just wait, people, it'll come. So the question becomes: A, can he stay healthy again? B, that Nats lineup is not what it once was, and that's a little terrifying as well. What's your thoughts on Turner going into 2021? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, he's solid. He's solid all around. Um, you can't really, you can't really pick out anything that stands out. I mean, the power, you know, is, is you know, it's not elite, but it's going to be there, especially with that profile that he has with the stolen bases. So, yeah, the lineup is an interesting thing. I mean, he's still going to have Juan Soto hitting behind him, which will be really nice. I'd be surprised if the Nats didn't do, make some kind of move. I mean, when you look at the Nats roster, it's kind of like it's now or never, right? It's kind of like now or tear down. They have the aging Scherzer. They have Strasburg, who's, who should be back this year and healthy. So they kind of got to go for it now. Um uh, Rob Silver was mentioning, and I think you responded yeah. to the tweet about how the Nats would be a really nice fit. I think that's a really good shout out, um, you know, as a replacement for Thames, which would make them a much better lineup. I mean, and that's a, it's a surprisingly hitter friendly park there at Nat. So, you know, I think there's, there's things that remain to be figured out with exactly what the lineup looks like, but 
hitting at the top, I mean, you could argue that if they don't have the same type of thump in later on in the lineup, right? Rendon gone now still, um, you know, and, and they don't, don't have a good replacement. Maybe that pushes the stolen bases up a little bit because they got to generate runs in a different way. True. So I'm not too concerned about that when I draft him. I mean, I think he's very solid here. And um, he was the one hitter, like first round hitter I had shares of last year um, on a consistent basis. I think I had like two or three. Uh, um, uh, I drafted him a couple OCs and, and he's brilliant. He was really great. So again, stay healthy, Trey, boo-boo, and he'll be great but I don't mind drafting him at all high in the first round. Yeah, no, I have nothing else to say. Like, I'm a huge Trey Turner fan. I I personally take him ahead of Tatis, and that really hurts to say because the more and more I look at Tatis throughout the last few months, it's, it's hard to justify that comment much longer. But I still do it because I believe in the power that Turner brings, and he brings more steals upside than Tatis does, and I can get power later in drafts. So that's how I justify more of that. Like, if I can get 40-plus steals from Turner, which I think I can, and still get 20 to 25 homers – I can get homers. Like I can get Nelson Cruz or something. We're golden. Like we can make that work. So that's where I kind of justify the difference there between the two. Plus, as we keep talking about, there's so many shortstops now, and a lot of them are starting to run. Not to the extent of these guys, but a lot of them are starting to run. So it's one of those. If I'm going to take a guy early, I want that big, big payoff in certain harder to find departments. That's kind of the way I, I look at it. Many disagree, and many have the right to disagree because Tatis is awesome. So I'm not going to knock that. But what gets more interesting now is the third shortstop off the board. Go around pick 11 overall, and that's Trevor Story. And yes, he plays in Colorado, and it's always the narrative, blah, 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 blah. But man, when you look at Trevor Story year in and year out, it's 20-plus steals, 30-plus homers the last few years at least, like three or four. If you if you were to factor 2020 out, probably, probably same thing. And he's hitting for average. He's just a monster right now. Lots to love with Trevor Story. Do you like him as the third shortstop off the board? How do you like him for 2021? Yeah, I think I do. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with with Trevor Story. I think the only concern, you know, is obviously the the Rockies seem to be kind of um, in a in a. I mean, they should have been in a transition mode before, but yep. the possibility of him being traded is obviously something. I think that makes maybe makes you pause a little bit early on in drafts before we have a clear knowledge. But I mean, he's awesome. Um, he's a great player. Those three. I mean, the the three to start off with. I mean, they're just. It's very hard to find flaws. Even, I mean, Story stole 15 bases last year in the shortened season, which is just absolutely, absolutely nuts. Um, the one thing I was going to mention before that is, Bubba, if we would have planned this ahead of time, you could have worn a Nats hat for <laughs> Trey Boo Boo, and I could have worn my Padres hat for Fernando Tatis Jr. Man, one of these years we'll get production value figured out. Oh, we really we, we, we moved the video now, so we're still kind of working that angle. Eventually, oh, we'll get to, to the whole oh, uh, green screens and like sports center with little things in our corner and stuff. It'll be fun. Oh, man. <laughs> Just think like it's kind of like when you were in the 90s and you were like, what is the year 2000 going to be like or the 80s? Yeah. It's like back to the future. Like we're going to be on hoverboards. Like sometimes <laughs> I think about what the podcast is going to be like in like 11 years. And it's just nuts. I mean, are we even going to be on earth? I mean, we're going to be, we're going to be sitting in the same room, but not sitting in the same room. If that makes sense. Totally. (laughs) I'm going to teleport into your, like into your living room. And then we're just going to do it. Um, Anyways, wearing a Nats hat, uh, it would have been great. It would have been great cinema, Uh, you know, really could have gone at it. But um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with story. Um, No, he's, he's awesome. He's like, honestly, the way it's falling this year, if you're in the back end of drafts and 
say you don't go pocket aces, but you want to get a big bat and then a pitcher on the wraparound or something, Story is a great, uh, great guy to start with. Like Jay Rams, a guy we'll talk about next week that you and I both love, and he's a guy I love to start out with the back of the draft as well. He's getting some hype though; he's getting kind of pushed up a little bit here and there. So if, you know, Story falling in your lap at pick say eleven or twelve, give or take, is phenomenal. I have no problem with that at all. He even lowered his ground ball rate this last year. Um, so there, there's tons to like with Story, like you said, nothing to really get too uh, too feisty about with Trevor's story. Now, the fourth shortstop off the board, this guy was the, like the first shortstop last year for most of the draft season. He's fallen to four, picked 17 overall. That is one in Francisco Lindor. There's concerns of him being traded, and I think those concerns are very valid because he might go to the Mets. He might go anywhere. To tell you the truth, the Indians will shop for discounts on the dollar, as we've seen in the past. So um, Lindor can be gone there. We saw kind of an up-and-down year with Lindor last year. The batting average took a big hit. Um, the power and speed were kind of wishy-washy at times. He was a little banged up. It was just a weird weird 2020 for uh, Francisco Lindor. People still have faith with, in him, though, going fourth short shortstop off the board. Do you have faith in him this year? Yeah, you know, I do. Um, I do have faith in Lindor. Um, I think there's no reason for for him to, to take a huge step backwards. I mean um, – yeah, you look across the board, uh, you know, there was a dip in contact rate, but in hard hit rate, quality of contact stuff. But in a shortened season, <laughs> if I remember correctly, in 2019, Cleveland got off to a really slow start. Like everybody was really, really terrible early on in the year, uh, and they really picked it up. If you look at, you know, his career splits, first and second half, you know, he was, um, you know, he hits about 20 points better in the second half, whether that's because of the weather or whatever. Um, I just think it's a small sample size early season issue for him. The trading thing is interesting. I think it it could be a, a, a bonus for him. I mean, yeah. you know, he um, the Cleveland lineup is isn't that great anymore. I mean, if you think about what they're doing, I mean, Santana's gone. Obviously, he struggled a little bit last year, but still kind of middle of the order line guy for him. It's kind of him and J-Ram right now. Um, you know, it's really not a great lineup. I mean, I was thinking about this a little bit with Shane Bieber's value, actually, is just thinking about how are they going to be that good this year? I mean, are they going to put up runs for him? Like they, you know, and obviously the competition isn't great, but with the Twins also losing out and some – you know, losing maybe Nelson Cruz, uh, potentially losing or losing Eddie Rosario. I mean, you know, that whole division becomes pretty weak batting wise outside of the White Sox. Um, so anyways, that's just a long rambling way of saying, I think Lindor is fine. There's no reason at his age why the skill should regret regress. Um, so I'm just chalking it up to shortened spring training, you know, slow start, I think he's going to be, yeah, I think he's going to be fine moving forward and, you know, potentially a value here. I mean, remember last year, like you mentioned, he was going in that Trevor story spot, like 10, 11. Um, so getting him, getting to him and being able to pair him with somebody else in the first round is, is could be a really nice um, thing. Yeah. If you don't go pitcher early, you go like a, like a Freeman Lindor, Harper Lindor or something. That's a hell of a, a two batter start. So that's a, doesn't stink. Cause I'm with you. I, I think, you know, shortened season, Definitely had an impact on what we saw from Lindor. Um, it is a very valid and interesting point about that. I, I agree the trade could help him offensively. 
I like the Bieber twist to that though, because like if I'm if I'm picking at Charles Tatis, that's a straw to pick at Bieber, and it makes sense if you want to really get to the brass tacks and you talk about Cole, DeGrom, and Bieber. So that's a that's the kind of stuff you have to do when you're trying to justify um, making a pick about you know two or three guys that literally really doesn't have much to complain about. So um, that that's a very interesting point though, because and we'll talk about it next week with J Ram if we feel that way with Lindor. It's got a really concerning with J-Ram. <laughs> so that's, that's not good either. Um, let's go to the fifth shortstop off the board, a guy that's near and dear to my heart that was a lot uh, farther back in the draft last year than he is now, and people thought he was too high then. Well, now Bo Bichette is going around pick 18, right behind Francisco Lindor. Uh, Bichette was uh, banged up last year, had, had some injuries with his knee, I believe. Still played in 29 games, hit 301 with five homers and four stolen bases. Uh, lowered the strikeout rate. Walk rate dropped as well. But it would have been crazy to imagine what he could have done with that very talented Blue Jays team when they were rolling in that second half with Yoscar and Grichik homering every game and Guriel going nuts and Telez. And they were all doing it with Bichette on the bench. So it's crazy to think you throw him in that lineup now. Very strong possibility, Toby, they're playing in Buffalo again next year, at least for most of half the season, if not the whole season. Well, that's a very likely option as well. Um, I'm I love Bichette. Even I have trouble picking him at pick seventeen or eighteen. Um, what's your thoughts on Bo Bichette? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree. You know, my major concern, as you know, as you all know, as we discussed uh, last last year, you know, was the running. And you know, it's small again, small sample size, so you never know what's going to happen. But he stole a four bases in, in a short season. Steamer projects him again, you know, to steal over 20, to go 2020 with a high batting average, you know, should accumulate a bunch as the leadoff hitter in that lineup. So, you know, I think there's a lot to like, um, a lot to enjoy. I do think, you know, even smaller sample size than we have with, you know, Tatis Jr. and maybe not the same type of, of batted ball quality that we've seen, but, you know, he makes a lot of contact. So, I I do um, you know I can see why people are really excited for him. Uh, I wouldn't draft him necessarily in this spot, but I can see I can see why people are interested and why people are chasing that um, that upside that he has. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's really tough, and that's why there's a question later. Like, where do you like guy take guys early, take guys later? What are you doing? Like the top four guys we talked about with Tatis, Turner, Story, Lindor. Big fan of. I like where things are going there. When you start dropping back a little more, it's like Bichette, okay, good, but what? You know, we're going to talk Mondesi and Seager and Bogarts and all these guys we're going to talk about and where they're going in the draft. It's hard to justify their value for me. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, Bichette starts that that level. Like he's super talented. Twenty twenty is great. You know, if all things click well, thirty twenty five or so, solid average, awesome lineup. It's just the the price tag is very very tough for me to stomach. So uh, that that's that's the hardest part there. I think he's a great player. I'm probably gonna regret everything about this, but because um, I'm a big Bo fan, I'm a big baby Blue Jay fan, but uh, yeah. not so fast this year. Yeah, and I mean he's also health. You know, maybe yeah. it's uh, he's he's had two injuries in two half seasons. You know that haven't have kept him out for a decent chunk of time, and that's not nothing, right? I mean, there I think you know what was one was a concussion from getting hit in the head. Um, and then the last time it was, what was it? It was, was it a sprain or yeah, was it a sprain? He didn't, he didn't tear any ligaments, but he, I think he messed something up in his knee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So it, yeah, definitely a lot of risk, I think. 
All right, talking about risk. The most polarizing shortstop we'll talk about the entire podcast Ooh. or the rest of the season, perhaps, as shortstop is Adalberto Mondesi. And I know we talked about him, I think, at like our year-end review awards or whatever about the second half he had and all the stats. When you look at the hit tool and all these things, and you and I were kind of, it felt like, if I remember correctly, we're kind of like, okay, I can see how this works with, with Mondesi because he's done this in the past. When he, when he plays well, when he's not banged up, he actually has a good hit tool. It's not consistent is the biggest problem with Mondesi. But when he's on, he runs and he runs like crazy. It's like old school Vince Coleman type stuff what Mondesi's doing out there. And that's where the value comes from. He's going around pick 25 right now. Um, you know, Steamer, they're, they're big fans. They have him stealing 54 bases and hitting 21 home runs. Like we, you mentioned earlier, I remember I tweeted it out when Steamer first came out. If, if Mondesi hits 257 with 21, 54 steals, 84 runs, and 78 RBIs, he is a top five pick, no problem. Maybe close to like the second or third pick overall. Like this guy is that good. Maybe the top pick, I don't care. But what do you really think about Mondesi? Do you you probably don't take him because this is your second pitcher section of the draft? But I'm so if, damn predictable. If you're not going pocket aces, is this a guy you could stomach taking at the back end of the second round of a 15 team draft? Uh, I do. Yeah, I mean, I really, I really, I really like him um, a lot in a batting average league. Obviously, we normally talk five by five, but I think it's worth saying that because in OBP, I mean, he just absolutely destroys your OBP. So I think that's one thing to be really cognizant of. Like, I would just steer as, stay as far away in an OBP from Mondesi as possible. Um, But the stolen bases and the power are just so. I mean, it's so tantalizing. And the thing about him is you don't, you don't need a full season from him, really. Like a good example would be like, let's say Mondesi plays two thirds of a season, probably steals you 35, 40 bases, hits 10 to 15 home runs. And then in those additional 200 plate appearances that you miss out via injury, you replace him with somebody like Miguel Rojas, right? Of the Marlins, who higher batting average guy, not going to get you nearly the steals, not as much power, but let's say for those 200 plate appearances, he gets you like four home runs and five stolen bases. You're still looking at like 15 and 40 plus with a batting average that's like 260, 270 ish, right? And so, again, that's one example, but the value that he provides, as long as he plays for a decent amount of the season, I think is just so it's so valuable to get that chunk of your stolen bases taken care of because you can make up for the batting average later. You can make up for the counting stats later. And he's not even hurting you in counting stats. Yeah. I mean, he's averaging probably around 80-80 for runs and RBI. And that's only because he's on a bad team. Yeah. And I mean, the skills, I mean, there's 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 upside there too. I know it's ridiculous to say, but like, you know, we a lot of us have read Alex Chamberlain's article about Max Exit Velo and kind of what it says. You know, he had a career high max exit velo by over one mile per hour at 111, right? So we think of him as kind of being like more of a slap hitter. Yeah, he has a little bit of power, but max exit velo of over 110 miles per hour. You know, he now has three consecutive years with a barrels per batted ball event rate of higher than 7.2%, right? So he's also slightly above league average when it comes to barrels. Um, and, and he's still super young. I mean, he's yep. 25 years old, right? So there could be 
more power in there. There could be growth in there. There could be development in there. And so it's kind of like, you know, I really do like drafting him. I'm sure I will have a share. Like if he falls to the early third round, you know, or even the late second, and I like what I'm what I'm seeing maybe from pitchers, you know, in the early third, I can definitely see going for him. I think it creates roster construction challenges because it's hard to build the other stolen bases around him. But it also, it is, and it also, you know, he's not really hurting you anywhere else, right, with the speed. And so it is because you probably don't want to go way over with stolen bases, but you can add those eight to 10 guys, right, throughout your lineup and end up with the number of stolen bases that you need. So I really like him a lot this year. I think, you know, I think, I think he's a really, he's a great pick where he's going right now, I think. Um, and I think he's shown us enough in 1,200 plate appearances that he actually is relatively consistent over a longer period of time. No, yeah, I agree with everything you said. You, you've been, you just said what I've been trying to preach to people for so long because I've, I've, I haven't rostered in a dynasty league. I've had him before he made his uh, trip to the bigs. So I've been watching him, and I, I've been through the downtimes, been through the goods. But like you said, you look at his final numbers every season, 276, 263, 256. You can live with all of those. He's got 32, 43, 24 stolen bases. You can live with these numbers he has. He's like very, very good numbers. He just when he when he goes in a slump, he goes in a slump. And it it, it feels more painful than it is. But that's another reason why I love Roto, because you get the entire season. Like if it was head to head, that would be brutal. Absolutely just dreadfully brutal. But if you're in a points format or you're in a roto format, it doesn't hurt you nearly as much. And that's what I like about Mondesi. Um, and it, that's why it kind of makes me laugh. Like I get how people want to plant their flags and, you know, feel this way or that way about certain players. I get it. But when people get so up in arms about how like bad Mondesi is, it blows my mind. It, it really just, it's like, okay, I, I'm not the biggest statistical genius. I get it. I make caveman projections, obvious. But I'm looking forward to the release of those caveman projections. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're getting pep, like the rock and mortar system. It's, ha- it's going to take a little longer at the coffee shop. But sure. it's there. But um, I, it really makes me wonder what uh, what stat am I missing that uh, they're so like against Mondesi. So I, I'm with you there. I think it's great. What would be perfect, at least for your world, is if he slips into the third round. So you go pitcher, pitcher, Mondesi, and some act of God, you get Real Muto late. Some act, wow, what an act of God that would like, like if, 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 if Toby walks out of a draft going pitcher, pitcher, and the first pitcher, I mean, would be Kohler to Grom if it's that early in the draft. Um, and maybe Cole DeGrom, like Nola, and then Mondesi and Real Muto. Just hand over your papers, guys. It, it's just over. It's <laughs> I, I got to start playing some 12 team leagues so I can, yeah. <laughs> so I can maybe accomplish that, even even tens, because that, that's a dream. Actually, I mean, when I was thinking early on strategically, I was like, or you can go pitcher, Mondesi pitcher, I guess. Yeah, you could for sure. Yeah. I mean, um, depends who's left on the board there. But yeah, I mean, I, that's kind of something I was struggling with a little bit where I was like, Really, I really want some shares of Mon to see this year. I really want, you know, I love JTR, obviously. So how how do I reconcile this with the approach? I think I'm going to mix it up a little bit though in some upcoming drafts, just to play around with with some things. So we'll, well see. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get you get get maybe people will be excited about that. We'll see. Well, I look forward to it. But that's why I'm putting these best ball drafts together for people to get in because a you know, you have a little bit of money in the game, which is fun. Take the draft seriously, all about it. But I'm learning so much more about how I want to draft this year because it is different. Trying to factor in what really mattered in 2020 
um, all these different things, like different points formats, make things interesting. Um, like taking Tatis early, is that a good move with all the shortstops on the board? It's the best ball format. Could you have done better taking a couple shortstops later and just getting the best ball from them? That's something that I'm kind of scratching my head about right now. So I'm looking forward to trying something different next time. Um, in a best fall format as well, or even a draft and hold or a draft champions format. Do you take a Montessi early and then come back with like an 11th or 12th shortstop knowing that, okay, when he slumps, I got this guy I can fill him in instead of waiting for a Rojas later, like you talked about, you know, I got 50 rounds. I like my, I know my, my depth of the player pool. I'll take a guy a little earlier. I have another stud here just in case I have to use them. Um, yeah. it, it, it's an interesting approach to, to how to do things. And uh, we'll probably definitely hit on that more. In this podcast, but uh, before, we're done with Montessi. We talked about Montessi for long enough. We'll move on. But um, the seventh shortstop off the board coming off a monster season because why? He stayed healthy. Oh, that, that's the biggest thing. And that's why I've never drafted Corey Seager in all my life. Everyone loves him. He played 52 games this year after playing 134, 26, 145, and then 157. Those are two good years. But the last few years have been a little rocky with Corey Seager. Hit 307, 15 home runs, even stole a bag. Monster in the postseason. And the hype train has caught on as he's the seventh shortstop at pick 28, about three or four picks after Mondesi. I don't know about you, Toby. I still can't take him at this price point. Um, I just I just can't. What about you? Yeah, I mean, the batted ball quality is was super elite this year. I mean, just um, absolutely fantastic. He's clearly an excellent hitter. He's a very, very good hitter. But like you, I just have a hard time taking him here. You're not going to get speed, right? Um, so you're going to be relying on that battering average, which, I mean, should be very good. And he should do really well with the Dodgers. There's a little bit of that injury history. Like you mentioned, it was really one kind of injury, I think, that lingered for a while, one missed season. Um, you know, and so I know that people on Twitter have been kind of going back and forth. Is he really that injury prone or 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 whatnot, but it's just not a profile that I necessarily love at this spot, especially because you've got a lot of other guys going around here that I think are really good, really good players. And I think that you, you know, as you build your roster, if you don't go for stolen bases at shortstop, right. I think we talked a little bit about this last year, like there's limited amount of speed at catcher at first base at generally at third base. Um, and so really you're looking at your second base, your shortstop, your middle infield, your outfield, where you're going to generate a lot of your speed. Spending this high of a pick on a shortstop where you're not getting that speed, I think is is a little bit of a roster construction. Not necessarily a mistake because you can certainly do really well if he hits like we know he can hit, but it's just not necessarily um, it's just not necessarily the type of build that I wanna that I wanna do. So very good, but I think you know, gonna be pretty hard to 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 get this value if he doesn't without the stolen bases there. Yeah, no. And then that's probably the best argument instead of, you know, me pointing at an injury or this or that. Cause he, like you said, his, his quality of contact, you know, going from a, a normal like eight to or eight and a half kind of barrel rate to 15.8. Like that's, that's a jump folks. That's quite the jump. Um, a, a hard contact rate usually floats around 40 ish, give or take up to 56. Like these are just massive jumps. It's crazy. Look at the X stats. He hit 307. He sh- they say he should hit 330. Like his X well was 410 compared to 387. Like they basically are saying he underperformed, mm-hmm. which is even crazier to, to consider when you look at the whole grand scheme of things. But man, there, there's so many things I'd like to, to delve in more on him because the, it, it's hard for me. Like it's the old saying, you're paying for his best is what you're paying for now. 
Like he's, I'm not saying he's not a good hitter. He's probably a very good hitter still. He's probably a 20 to 25 home run guy. Probably get 280 to 300, give or take. But that lack of steals, when we talked about all those guys ahead of him at shortstop to steal and a bunch of guys coming after him to steal, that's a tough price tag to put out there. If you said like uh, round seven or eight, okay, we could talk. There, there's much more to like there. But at that price point, it's uh, it's quite tricky for me. So I'll be passing on Corey Seager yet again. It's not a Dodger thing. It's a uh, it's a fancy baseball sure. thing. So, so we're going to go before before all the, the, the people coming out of the woodwork saying, I, I won't roster Dodgers. Well, that's not true. But, uh, yeah, not for me this year. All right. The eighth shortstop off the board, Xander Bogarts. Going to pick 35. Red Sox had an up and down season. But uh, Bogues still got it done. 11 homers, eight stolen bases. He's shown power and speed every year. Hit 300 again. He's very, very consistently good, and he's dropping in drafts compared to, I think last year he's probably the fifth or sixth shortstop off the board, dropping to eighth, creeping into round, um, round four now. Uh, what do you think about Xander Bogarts? Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, I think just all around solid, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just he's just really good and very consistent. Um, my challenge with with you know rostering Red Sox has just been like last year at least was just um, they just seemed like they were going to be really bad, and I don't know if they're going to be good this year. I think they're going to be really bad too, which I'm for some reason I always I'm I was worried about, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's fine. Um, you know, the 35, I remember getting him at 45 when I when I was really into him. Um, you know, the stolen bases haven't always been there. Um, you know, so he stole eight in 2020, four in 19, eight in 18, you know, so they're they're there, but not necessarily as there as maybe you would want them to be. But I think he's solid. I don't see any major flaws in in him. He's still young. I mean, he's still 28. He's been around for such a long time already. But he's just really good. Um, I'd, I'd maybe prefer his his teammate who's going a little bit later in drafts, uh, Devers. I drafted him in my first draft. But, um, yeah, I mean, Bogarts is fine. I, I can't find any major faults there. And I think Steamer's kind of undervaluing him a little bit. He's mm-hmm. – a batting average at 279 for steamer, which I don't, I don't necessarily see that. Yeah. He said um, he's hit 288 or better in all but one season since 2015. Like, yeah. Come on steamer. <laughs> Give me a little, little bit of a break here. Yeah. But I'm with you. Like I, there's nothing I can say bad about him. I'd rather have Bogarts over Corey Seager, which people might think I'm crazy for, but uh, I've seen him consistently do it. Where I haven't seen it from Seager. So, but Seager isn't a better offense. So that, that's an argument as well, but I'd rather have, um, Rather have Bogarts over Seager. I'm a big big Xander fan. I agree. I'd rather have Devers for sure in that lineup. I'd probably rather have Verdugo even later in that lineup. But uh, I do like Bogarts quite a bit. I think you're getting him at a, a bit of a discount here. But still, like I said earlier, after the top four, there's this range of Bichette and Seager and Bogarts where it gets kind of questionable. Honestly, we can we can agree on. And the other reason why it's tough for me to take Seager or Bogarts is the Next shortstop off the board, the ninth shortstop off the board, a pick 36, one pick after Sander Bogarts, the one and only Tim Anderson, who we've talked about so many times on this show. He is just a gift from the baseball gods. Power, speed, batting average, babbit to death, does it all, but we love him to this day. I'd rather have Tim Anderson over Seager and Bogarts. What about you? Yeah, I'm ha- I'm I'm having a little bit of an existential crisis. 
that is being caused by um, by Tim Anderson because maybe it's ridiculous. I don't know. I just I, I don't love him going this high, you know, even though he's got batting average, right? He's got runs if healthy. He's going to hit home runs. He's going to steal bases as well. The La Russa stuff freaks me out a little bit, you know, um, honestly, but um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I'll have some of him because the batting average speed and Steamer has him at a 279 batting average, right? They're not buying fully into the BABIP. Um, I think it's pretty clear that he's probably not that, that guy, but I also worry a little bit about the injury history too. You know, um, this year he was injured last year. He was injured. He didn't even hit 600 plate appearances. So it might just be that I don't see the same type of value here. And maybe, maybe I see a little bit more risk than some of the other hitters going in this area, but it's hard to justify that because it's like, you know, other guys I like in this spot are like Kyle Tucker, you know, and, and, and Kyle Tucker, you can't say that there isn't risk there um, with him um, either. So, you know, I think, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I just have to think about it a little bit more deeply. I need to face this existential crisis that I'm, I'm going through and, and kind of work through it and figure out where I am, uh, where I am at with him. So we'll see. Like, I guess on the bright side, it's when a player moves up this high in the draft that you've been on for so long, you can kind of say you were right. Like, Hey, this is why we liked him for so long. It, it, eventually if, if they're that good, they prove us right. And you know, you win with them long enough. Eventually they have to become up here. It's just, just how it's going to go. So yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I wish I could say that I've been on Anderson for a while, but last year was really the first year that I was on the Tim, Tim Anderson bandwagon. So you know, am I a true, am I a true believer or am, was I just in it for last year and the value that I saw, which isn't necessarily a, the wrong approach. I think no. it's just, it's going to be, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him. I mean, I'm sure I'll have a share or two um, with him, but I don't know. I'm still, I'm still torn on him. You know, it's still so early in the season and it's funny because I haven't developed the same type of um, affection for players as I did last year, I felt like there was this core group of guys that I really was into and I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet in my, in my prep work. I don't think. And that's why I like doing these early drafts because I, I'm going to get there by doing so. Like I've made my rankings. I'm going to do this, but tweak my rankings. It's just so many question marks and that's, it's, it's a totally different animal this year. Drafts are going to be so fun from month to month as news. Like heck today we had Schwarber Rosario and other guys getting on tendered. They're going to end up on new teams. Uh, there's going to be some trades here and there. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to just mix it all up. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be it's going to be really fun to see how things change and guys start to plant their flags as we get closer and closer to the start of a season. Uh, but yeah, Tim Anderson, I love him. I love him big time. Like basically, if you don't get one of the top three guys in the first round, and then you don't get Mondesi, I'd like to live with Tim Anderson. That's kind of where I'm looking. Otherwise, I'm just going to wait. And that's mm-hmm. well, I guess what not wait too long the way the draft goes, but some guys we'll talk about here in a little bit that I, I don't mind waiting for basically. So it's it's a very interesting, uh interesting group of shortstops this year. And we'll round out the top ten with a guy that I am not a fan of. I wasn't a fan last year. I got that part right when I had him as a guy that's gonna fall backwards. 
I know he's very good. I know he can put it together. I'm not going to pay for it, though. And that is Glaber Torres. He's only shortstop eligible this year, which is a new twist for him. But going around pick 64 for the New York Yankees, I'm just not going to do it right now. But uh, do you have Glaber Love? I don't think I have Glaber Love. I think this is a much more appropriate um, than last ADP, year for sure. Yeah. ADP for Glaber right here. I mean, I think he can still crush it. Um, I think he's still a really, really good hitter. Again, lack of speed is a little bit of a limiting factor. Great lineup, you know, power, batting average, so-so as well. So I think that probably is what keeps me off of him a little bit more. You know, maybe maybe I'll wait and grab like a Marcus Semien or somebody like that who has a little bit more speed profile, maybe a little bit less power, but we'll get to that in a second because there's a big difference when he's not in Oakland versus mm-hmm. what he is outside of that. And, um, and so I, I may be more, a little bit more, you know, and I think that's a lot of what, you know, I'm trying to figure out with my early drafts is, you know, whether a guy is a value or not is, is great. It's important, but it's also a question of how does me taking him here impact later on later decisions in the draft and how I build out my roster. And that's, what's been really helpful about going through this first draft right here is just kind of figuring out, okay, you know, these, this is where the mistakes were made. These are the kind of pockets where I want to be targeting this or targeting that. You know, I don't want to miss out on this guy, and I know what the price is now that I have to pay a little bit more. So, um, yeah, I think Glibber's fine here. I don't, I don't mind the pick, but I don't necessarily think that it's. Um, I don't necessarily think I'm not like super into it. Yeah, I'm just not there. Uh, you know, three point seven percent barrel rate last year, thirty six percent hard hit rate. He's basically been a thirty six percent guy his whole go of his K's dropped, his walks went up. That's good. That's great, but. Um, you know, there, there's just not a lot that I was in love with last year. And they said he had changed his approach. He wasn't as aggressive as he needs to be and all those things. So that could change. That's great. But doesn't steal bags, as you mentioned. You know, 270 hitters, not bad. But it's like Steamer's gone for 269, 32, six homers. You know who else I can get for something maybe close to that? Maybe a little less average, but a lot later in drafts? A Randall Gritchick or something. Like, you mm-hmm. know, I get 30-plus homers. So that's where, like, you're talking about your roster construction. That's the whole – we talk about it time and time again. Know the player pool, all these things. When you're doing these early drafts, you can get someone else at Glaber's spot here, another pitcher, uh, a different batter, a different position, like a, that's a little shallow, and then go yeah. get a guy. The outfield's got so much power later. There's, the corner infield's got power later. There's just other ways. Heck, go get a Paul DeYoung later. Like, it's going to get you, like, 25 was, runs. Exactly. That's <laughs> what I was going to say. I was going to say Paul DeYoung, like – that clip outside of the batting average is like pretty much exactly what Paul DeYoung did in 2019, you know, exactly. with more with more speed uh, remarkably. Um, yeah. So I think that's a, I think that's a great shout. And I think that's what, you know, so much of these, so much of these pre- these position previews is just understanding. I think the position, some of those pieces. <laughs> yeah. Like, like who is, who is, um, I know that, um, 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 Rob DiPietro has had Ryan Bloomfield on his show um, and talked a little bit about like the Mayberry method, yep. um, which I, I don't, I don't use the Mayberry method, but I think it's a very, it's a very important good tool. exercise. Yeah. And tool is understanding where guys with similar skills or similar profiles are where maybe, maybe, you know, their 50% medium projection isn't, isn't there, but within the range of outcomes is something similar enough where the, the difference in where you're drafting them is much more worth worth it. 
you know, that's think, all that's where the value is, you know. I think I'm gonna have to do more articles on that this year because in the years past I've done him them sparingly at positions, but I have like a long list. I just never get to him. I really need to get to him more, just do a or just dedicate a podcast to him. I don't know. But because yeah. uh, there's a lot, like you're saying, you can do at each position. And then when you look at the ADP, it's like, okay, instead of well, I'll just, you know, give me two seconds here. The, the wonder of technology. Let me just get the short only all positions. And we'll go to where Gaber's going here and pick 65 or whatever. And we'll, we'll scroll Tra- down. Draft to, Carlos Carrasco. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's bingo. I got, got Carrasco in both drafts so far I've been doing because I'm all in on that. But, okay, say you want a power guy at a different position and maybe you believe in Pete Alonzo. He's going two picks earlier. Uh, Sonny Gray, Lance Lynn are going right there. Teoscar Hernandez is going four picks later. If you want to take a gamble, at least you can get steals upside with Teoscar over Glaber Torres. Um, Javi Baez is the guy we're going to talk about going right after Glaber. If you want to buy a bounce back with potential steals upside, Javi Baez. Um, you know, there's there's a ton of options. Like you mentioned Carrasco, great call on that one. There's other options there where you can go and take uh, like let me just do that now. Where's Paul Beyond getting drafted? Pick two twenty four Beyond. Yeah. So around Beyond, you got Clevenger's obviously not going, but Leone Tavares, he's a risky outfield take, which I get the upside, but Michael Pineda, Matt Barnes, Chris Sale, Ben Intendi, Candelario. You see the difference in players talked about right there. So yeah. it just it just totally changes how you look at your, your team build going forward. That if you can get that Dion late, but go get a Pete Alonso or a Carlo Carrasco earlier, much different trade value from where you're picking in those points to draft. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's one of the things in thinking about positions is, you know, rankings are important and everything. But again, no decision you make within a draft is done without, without, you know, the context. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Like that is, they're also context dependent. So it's almost like a choose your own adventure, right? It's like, even within the tiers, right? There are limitations there because yeah, maybe the overall value of a guy is similar within that tier, but the actual way that it impacts your later decisions and all that. So you're trying to put that puzzle together. And, and it's why I think some of the best advice that I've heard from different folks, something I need to do better is building draft your team from the, from the back of the draft to the front of the draft in the sense that like, you know, know who you can get later on in drafts to fill in different needs so that early on you can address the parts of your team you can't address later on in drafts. Um, I think that's that's really sound logic and um, makes a lot yeah. of sense. No, there, there's a reason the most successful guys are doing stuff like that. You've mentioned you're trying to kind of you know sketch, you know, plan out your draft more. I know you mentioned Bloomfield; he's been a big guy on. Hey, I'm looking at ADP. Okay, I, these three guys in this round. If I get one of them, we're like, like it literally, it's one of those puzzles. Like if I go here, you go here. If you go here, you go totally. here. Like I just keep triangling it down. I know Matt Modica was was talking about the other day on Twitter. A lot of the very successful players you don't just walk in with a sheet of players, like a ranking, like you said, you've looked at this, you've not just done, you know, read a book, baseball HQs, forecasters, amazing. But what you do with that knowledge is it. where you go Buy it now. Yes, you should. Or you go give a rating review on iTunes. And one of those will be the prizes for yes. Bubba's Christmas. Give a special. rating and review to, <laughs> so, Bubba, to bench with Bubba right now. Yeah. I had, I had to get in there, but there's like 10 or 12 uh, prizes, depending on how many people, Step up to the plate, but uh, there's a lot of prizes, and one of them is a baseball HQ forecaster. So, Papa, let me ask you a question: Are people stepping up yet? I think a couple have, yeah, a few have, yeah, a yeah. couple people. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about dribble. we are talking about one of our the favorite characters. I got to figure out which way I point here. <laughs> one of our favorite, one of our favorite characters in all of fantasy baseball, the best host of the pod of a <laughs> podcast in all of fantasy baseball. You guys need to get out there. Go to iTunes. Go to Bench with Bubba. 
Give him a five-star rating and review. The man is offering prizes for doing that. And you know in your heart that that is what you believe truly in not only this show. I've mentioned it, but Bubba, the, the Bench with Bubba podcast is awesome. It's in my rotation. He always has great people on, invites new voices. Do it. Thank you, Toby. I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, there's some fun stuff. So go check it out. It's all on the Twitter. Go get it. But uh, yeah, and that that's just, you know, these guys, they, they win for a reason. And you got to have the, the plan in place to go with the player pool. But uh, let's get to the next set of targets here. Picks 11 through 20. You got Javi Baez. Damsey Swanson moved up to pick 95 this year. Johnny VR, Carlos Correa, Tommy Edmond, who we talked about last week. Uh, yeah. Marcus Simeon, Didi Gregorius, Jake Cronenworth as well. Andres Jimenez and Hey Seung Kim, who's not even on a team yet, but he's a very talented player, I believe, from the KBO or Japan. Yeah. I think KBO. KBO. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. uh, there's a few that came up from Japan recently too. But uh, yeah, he's very, very talented. So what we'll do here is we'll go back and forth. We'll have two guys that we're targeting in this range um, of the uh, shortstop position. So who's the first guy you're targeting? So this was actually kind of hard for me because honestly, like some of my, I don't really love a lot of the shortstops going, or we've talked about them before on other podcasts. Right. Um, But the first guy I'm going to go with is Marcus Semien. I think Semien, you know, I think he's got everything there, right? He's 30. He's got a great approach at the plate, great plate discipline, great contact skills, power, power, relative speed guy, right? He's not going to knock it out of the park from a speed knock it out of the park from a speed perspective. That doesn't make, maybe I should talk about home runs using that, uh, whatever it is. But um, but I think one thing about Semyon is he's not going to end up in Oakland most likely, you know, and and he, the batting average was better in Oakland, which is amazing because we know how many pop-outs there are, you know, just because it's so cavernous. It's one of the worst hitters parks um, in all of baseball, if not the worst. Um, and And, but when you look at his power, so away from home over the last three seasons, um, he has 27, 32 home runs away from home. And at home, he has 23, right? So almost 10 more home runs on the road um, than in Oakland. And so I really think that the power takes a little bit of a jump for him. Um, where he goes. I mean, a great example would be, I mean, imagine if he ends up with the Reds, which is a logical destination since they're really looking for a shortstop, somebody who to maybe be in the position for a couple years while um, Jose Garcia develops a little bit more, you know? So again, I think, you know, the steamer projection is 253, 24 home runs, 11 stolen bases with about, you know, 160-ish, 165-ish runs in RBI. I mean, I think that's 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 phenomenal. Um, and you're getting him kind of at pick 150-ish right now in drafts. And so he's a guy that I, I really like the value there. And I think the approach is so solid. You know, the difference is he had a 260 Babbitt this year, right, um, compared to previous seasons, you know, um, and so I really think that I think he's I think he's a great he's a great he's a great value pick and a guy where you can get a little bit of everything kind of right in the middle of the draft. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. That's a solid solid value pick, as you're saying. I'm, I'm curious to see how that all plays out with Oakland or wherever he ends up. But uh, yeah, I think that's a really solid pick there at 144. Uh, my guy is going to be Danzy Swanson. I know he's going wet earlier than last year, but I, I can't quit him. 
I really can't. And it's, there's some some red flags. Contact rate dropped this past year, but uh, as a whole, with Dansby, we saw him hit uh, ten home runs, steal five bags in sixty games. Played every game, hit two seventy four. Steamer having him projected to hit two fifty or two forty eight. Kind of, I, I don't believe that. That's not to me. That's not the hitter he is anymore. But uh, I could be totally wrong there. I do believe though the power speed's legit. Like I, I can see fifteen steals, 25, 20 to twenty five home runs. Um, basically, if you're looking at uh, shortstops, we've already talked about he's like a Corey Seager type, maybe a little light, uh, Xander Bogart's light, but you're getting them 60 picks later. So I, I like Dancy Swanson quite a bit, still in a very talented offense with Acuna, Albies, Freeman. Maybe they'll bring in someone else to replace Azuna. Who knows? Riley's going to be better. There's still a lot to like in Atlanta. So uh, Swanson's a guy that I'm a big fan of. I know the value, the price tag has gone up. And there are some concerns. Like, is he going to hit um, over 300? Probably not. Is he going to hit 274? I think he can hit 270, 274. I really do. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. So uh, I like him, though, for the power-speed combo. And on that team, very, very good stuff there from Swanson. So I'll, I'll be buying back in on Swanson if uh, the price stays right. Nice. Who is your uh, second guy? My second guy is – I went with Tommy Edmond again. And it's not like I love Tommy Edmond necessarily, but I just think that the position flexibility is huge. And I think he's in a really, really nice spot, you know, switch hitter, um, top of the lineup. He's going to be the leadoff hitter there. I don't mind the guys behind him. You know, he's going to have DeYoung behind him. He's going to have Goldschmidt. He's going to have Dylan Carlson, who I like a lot this year. Maybe Eddie Rosario. Uh, maybe, maybe Eddie, and maybe Eddie Rosario. Although I hope not, because that's a less than ideal ballpark for him to end up in. However, um, as long as he's playing every day, I'll be happy. Even though I don't own him in like any keeper leagues or anything like that so far. But um, yeah, I, I just think that um, you know the ground ball is a little bit high, but you know he has a little bit of pop. I think he can get you, you know, ten to fifteen home runs. I think he can get you fifteen plus stolen bases. I think he's going to score a lot of runs because the OBP is decent. The RBI may not be there. The batting average, you know, maybe maybe not the best, but he makes a lot of contact, so it won't be super low. I just think that there's a lot of ways for him to help your team with the position flexibility with what he brings to the table. And so for that reason, I like him. Um, as a shortstop, a second baseman, third baseman, outfielder, whatever, you know, whatever you, uh, whatever you want, I think that uh, Tommy Edmond can fill that need. Yeah, I have no problem with Edmund at all. We talked about last week. That flexibility is tremendous. Uh, that's why a guy like Jake Cronenworth I'm a big fan of. Uh, there, there's certain guys that just have that flexibility that, for me, moves them up the draft board more than maybe others agree with. But I'll, I'll take that that risk just for – we saw this last year, what flexibility can do. I have a hunch we might need that again next year. <laughs> so just just a hunch. Let's just go along with that, and uh, that, that could come in handy. Uh, my second guy, again, not a super value compared to what you're talking about, but – to me, he's a value of what we've seen in recent years. Usually this guy's going around pick 30, give or take, like a top five shortstop. And this is Javi Baez, 11th shortstop off the board, pick 68. Um, last year was just a weird year. Like you look at his con- overall contact skills dropped tremendously. But uh, you look at the stat cast page and it was still, you know, a barrel rate over 8%, not as norm, but still a, a very respectable barrel rate. Over 40% hard hit rate, not bad. That's pretty close to his norm, actually. But when I see a 118 max exit below, the best of his career, he's still doing something right. And that gets me thinking, okay, I know there was rumors of injuries last year and whatnot. Maybe there's something there. You know, his BABIP was 262. This guy's usually a career 340 BABIP type guy. 
That's just not normal for for Javi Baez. Strikeout rate went up a little bit as well, but he runs. He's going to hit homers. He's projected for 30 homers and 12 stolen base to the 255 average. That would be outstanding if you're um, not getting one of the elite shortstops, but you still want the upside. I believe he can hit for a better average. You know, before last year, 281, 290, 273, 273, 289. You know, 255 is pretty low compared to what Javi Baez is used to. So you get him back to like a 280 to 290 hitter, 30-plus homers, maybe 15-plus stolen bases. The counting stats will be upper echelon-type counting stats. We talked about Rizzo bouncing back. I think this Cubs offense bounces back at a hole. It really stinks that Kyle Schwarber's not there anymore. That, that, the, I'll be honest, it surprised me a little bit. But um, they're, they're, they're rumored to, to trade Bryant as well. But neither you or I are big Chris Bryant fans, so that works out fine. But uh, I, I do believe Baez is due for a big bounce-back season. He's one of those guys that I am trying to buy into a lot where I can get him because last year's just one of those years, I think, was a down season, crazy situations, banged up a bit. He's too good for the numbers he put up. So I'll be buying back in on Javi Baez next year. Yeah, I love that call as well. Um, I love that value. I would I would have listed him among my people, but I didn't want to I didn't want to steal the one that you'd already put down. So um, that's how we do it on the on this podcast, you know. But I think Baez is 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 tremendous value where he is right now. And like you mentioned, I mean, I think there's a chance for him to I think maybe there's a little bit to his struggles, but not to the extent that he has. And exactly. I think there's a lot of ways that he can bring back value, even if he's you know even if he's not the 270, 280 hitter, you know, that he has been. Um, if he's a 250 guy, I think, like you mentioned, the counting stats are still going to be there. The pop's still going to be there. The speed's still going to be there. And where you're getting him in draft, it's a huge upside, um, I think, to take. And I think there's very little downside as well at this spot in the draft. Yeah, and that's why when you can get the guys we just mentioned, four guys, and we literally could have mentioned, I mentioned Cronenworth, fifth guy. Like there's, there's a bunch here where it's, do you really want to take a guy early? It really makes the discussion point fun, which we'll get to with listener questions in a minute. But before we get there, later round targets, this is a listener question as well, so we'll, we'll hit on them here in a little later. But post-20 shortstop off the board, there's you know, Polanco, Fletcher, DeYoung, who we talked about a few times, Wander Franco, who Gancy Eaton's curious about, Willie Adamas, a, a list of guys. Who uh, stands out to you back here? Yeah, well, we mentioned it before. I think Paul DeYoung um, stands out to me. I mean, I think for me, 2020 is kind of a wasted season for a lot of the Cardinals. Um, DeYoung had COVID-19, um, never really seemed to recover, um, you know, wasn't very good. The skills were not as good as usual. Then they have all these games, one on top of another. So, you know, I think I give DeYoung a little bit of a pass because before he'd been a guy who had improved every year. Um, and he's just, he's going to be there. He's going to be in the middle of that lineup. If not early on in that lineup, um, he's going to be playing every single day. Uh, he's going to get a bunch of counting stats. He's going to get you, uh, a good amount of power. He may contribute a decent amount of speed depending on, you know, where, where you are in the variance this year and the batting average isn't, shouldn't hurt you too much. I mean, that's the one area where you're maybe a little bit concerned. Um, but you know, I, I drafted him in my first draft and I, I was debating between, um, I, I picked him up, I think pretty early on if, according to his ADP, I think around like pick one ninety or something like that, just cause it came down to Jorge Polanco and Paul DeYoung. And, um, and I went with DeYoung and I, um, and I was really struggling b- between the two because in a lot of ways they're, you know, you know, I, I kind of asked myself, who's going to hit for more power? And I think that's clearly DeYoung. And I asked myself, who's going to steal more bases? And it's like, 
Polanco, the Twins have not been stealing bases. He stole more this last little bit. And I, I, I won't go too deep into this. Then I was like, so the major difference is going to be batting average for Polanco and then the, the power and the speed. And I think the counting stats may be a little bit similar. And I ended up going with DeYoung, and I'm not sure what I believe, but I think they're both great values. And I know you're going to talk about Polanco in a little bit. So uh, I just really think that DeYoung, where he's going right now, has an opportunity to return considerable considerable value. So I would go with that. I, I like him a lot. No, I love DeYoung. I love that, that call. Um, he's a guy I seem to draft most years just because he's always back here in drafts. Like he just never gets the love he deserves. And like you mentioned after last year, we talked about it with Edmund last week and some other Cardinals already that I think I'm, I'm going to give most of those guys a COVID-19. Like we'll give you the check mark here because that schedule they had to play through. I don't care how athletically, you know, in shape you are, hotel rooms, all the whole gamut of it you are just not going to be focused and you're going to be worn down. Like there's just no way around it. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. And I think uh, DeYoung is a big, big benefactor of that going in the next year. So I like that call. My first one's going to be David Fletcher. He is uh, going right before DeYoung, about seven picks before DeYoung. Now the thing with Fletcher, he's going to turn a lot of guys off. Very limited power, does have some speed. I think both of those can develop even more with regular playing time. The thing with him is he's leading off in front of Trout, Otani, Walsh, Rendon, uh, Iglesias is there now, like a very talented Angels offense. And he has elite contact skills, like elite, elite contact skills. It is insane what he can do contact-wise. A 95.2% zone contact rate last year. For those keeping track at home, league average, 82.8%. His chase contacts, 83.3%. League average, 59.4%. His whiff rate's 8.6%. League average, 24.5%. Like what this guy can do, just getting the ball in play is elite. Um, And then, you know, the exit velocity, the hard hit rate, the barrels, dreadful. Like just those are just blue as blue can be. 0.5% barrel rate, not good. But what I like to see with with that contact rate, his max exit velo continues to go up each year. And we're seeing how big of a benefactor that is. And eventually, if he gets a little launch angle, last year's max exit velo was 107. Still not elite, but for him, that's good because 103, 104.5, 107. If he can start lifting the ball a little bit, everything's going to start changing for that guy. So um, I'm a big fan of him. I think there could be like 10 steals upside with him. I really do. The power is the question. Steamer's got him for 8-8, eight and eight, uh, but the the bad average is legit. So I, one thing I like about him is if you you know load up on guys early that you're worried about bad average, but you have power and speed figured out. Say you took a Monacy. Fletcher's a good middle infield option. Uh, stuff along those lines where he's going to get you solid batting average and then maybe chip in elsewhere. And one of these years, I think it's going to click where the ball starts elevating more, the barrels start coming in more, and here comes David Fletcher putting together like a 15-15 type season while he hits over 300 and scores probably 100 runs in the Angels behind Mike, uh, in front of Mike Trout. I like him a lot, so um, I, I'm a big fan of his, and we'll probably be targeting him a lot late in drafts. Cool. Who's your next guy? My next guy is I'm going to go with Ahmed Rosario. Um, a lot of this is kind of risk reward because, you know, he, he last year you were drafting him at pick 120, right? 120 to 130. Um, this year you're getting him at pick 350, right? 340, 320, whatever it is. Um, and I just think, you know, yeah, he doesn't look like he has everyday playing time right now, right? Because you have Jimenez there. But 
you know, this is a guy who has pretty consistently hit for um, batting average and speed, you know, early on in his career. He's still really young, like he's 25 years old. Uh, he's got 1,500 plate appearances under his belt. Um, and he had even he's even provided a little bit of pop. And so I think it's just a little bit, it's a little foolish, I think, to just be so down on him right now, um, you know, where he's going that late in drafts, right? He's, he's, he's a reserve, you know, and um, I just think there's a ton of upside that he could have if he finds himself in the right position, right? Um, you know, I'm not entirely sold on Jimenez yet um, either, like very similar profile to what, um, what Rosario came up as. And so I just like him as kind of a later round uh, stab, you know, where if it doesn't work out, you know, then you drop him. But I think if it does work out, it could really generate a lot of um, a lot of value for him. And I could see a situation where, you know, um, right now I think they have McNeil penciled in at second and um, J.D. Davis is at, is at third and, and Jimenez is at short. Could definitely see a scenario where, you know, um, they move, they shuffle that around a little bit and Jimenez is the odd, odd person out. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens, but I, I think he's worth a, he's worth a shot where he's going right now. I was really disappointed in my DC actually. I think he's a perfect like DC draft draft pick type. Uh, he went, he went uh, earlier than I anticipated in, in the DC. So I didn't get him. Must be in a sharp DC then. Um, my next guy is Jorge Polanco. As you mentioned, pick 203 right now. Uh, you hit on some of it earlier to me. He's got a lot of, David Fletcher in him uh, a little more pop what we've seen develop um, and steals last year was kind of a down year for that but the average is there um, the lineup's still very good hopefully Nelson Cruz comes back that would be a, a big plus but um, you know the walk rate dropped a little last year uh, which was was a big bummer for him but he just had an overall down season last year um, 292 BABIPs not his normal situation either I think he can bounce back steam resin for 273 19 and nine, which I think is very, very good. Um, so I'm on Hori Polanco. I've been on him pretty much every single year because he goes late every single year. And I think leading off for that twins team that I think Mitch Garver bounces back a bit this year. You still have a, you know, Donaldson hopefully gets healthy, but so no strikes out a lot, but hits the ball over the fence a lot. Uh, you still have Kepler. You're going to have Kirill off and others. Buxton's there. There's a lot to like in that offense still, even if Cruz and Rosario don't come back, Rosario's not coming back, but if they don't, Still a lot to like with Polanco, so I'll be back on Polanco as well. Who's your third guy? Uh, my third guy is Miguel Rojas um, of the Marlins. Um, and this one's really, I mean, I, I think it, I love, I love, I love the pick, you know, just because of the ADP. I mean, he's going, uh, I should check to see what it is now, but it, it was around like 370 something. Um, so he's going, yeah, 374. Um, and he's a guy like, he's kind of the heart and soul of that, that Marlins team from all accounts. He plays, he played every day last year. He should play every day this year. I just don't think that, you know, birdie is the second baseman right now. I think Chisholm, if he goes in, you know, probably goes over to second, um, he makes a ton of contact. The batting average is high, a little bit of pop, a little bit of speed, just kind of an all around contributor, the type of guy that I think is great to have kind of on your bench and in the right matchups to play in your middle infield slot. So I just really love Miguel Rojas. I think, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, in some ways, you know, you, you mentioned um, uh, 
uh, David Fletcher and kind of those types. Um, feel like he's a similar, relatively similar guy that you can get much further down in the draft. So um, I really like, uh, I like Rojas a lot. Yeah, no, I have him as my 24 shortstop in my rankings. I'm a big, big Rojas mm-hmm. fan. So I'm with you there. If he's got the playing time, super, super talented. My last guy would be Willie Adamas, 25 years old, still super, super young. I think uh, this will be like the second or third straight off season. I'm like, okay, he's a great yeah. round target. Like he really is. Last year, only eight homers, two stolen bases, hit 259. The average wasn't bad, but you know the strikeout rate ballooned from 26 to 36. Walk rate increased as well. He's one of those guys where each year we've seen his barrel rate go up. Each year we've seen his hard hit rate go up. We've seen all the quality of contact metrics go up that we want to see. But the overall contact quality last year took a dip. Like We've seen those get better and better each year. Last year, that took a big drop off. The whiff rate rose like almost 12%. Those are massive concerns, obviously. Um, you have to wonder, did he try a new approach at the plate? What was it? What's going on? Because he was showing proper gains everywhere else for going into this last season. We saw it in certain areas this season. But the overall contact skills dropped tremendously. So that's something to kind of monitor going into next year. Um, yes, Wander Franco's looming, but uh, we'll get to him a little later. I got thoughts on that as well. But Willie Adama's going to pick 292. I don't mind the gamble at that point in time. So I still think there's a lot of upside there, a lot of power in that bat with some speed, decent batting average. It is Tampa Bay, so you never know. But uh, I, I still buy into Willie Adamas being much better than he performed last season. All right. Listener questions are upon us. And, again, you guys kicked butt on the listener questions column of things. We appreciate that. Keep them coming early and often. Um, let's go here. The first one from John Fish. If you're taking a shortstop early, are you hesitant to fill the middle infield with another at all, or does that not matter to you? We kind of hinted at it. Like I, I said earlier, we're going to hint at a lot of these questions because it's hard to avoid them, but um, it's a lot of roster construction. It's a lot of do you want to kind of double up on the super talented guys? Do you want to wait? What do you want to do? In the grand scheme of it, his question was, do you want to put one at middle infield? I usually put a shortstop at my middle infield position because because it's so deep. It's not a must this year because second base is better than it used to be, but – I don't, uh, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm in a similar place in the sense that I, I, um, I think it's fine to get too early on and put them in your middle infield. I think it's just a matter of, of kind of your, your roster construction and how you want to put it together. I think just with the way that drafts fall right now, I don't necessarily, I'm not super high on doing that just because I don't see a ton of value. I could see going, doubling up super early on if you were going hitter hitter to start off with, with two really good shortstops. Um, I can definitely actually see that as a, as a good way, because I do think that again, there's not a ton of value, but when you're drafting towards the top of the draft, you're not necessarily looking for um, value at all. Like, right. I mean, like you obviously want the guy to do better than his draft cost, but it's very, very hard for people to do that higher up in the draft. So I could actually see going like shortstop, shortstop, mm-hmm. you know, like we mentioned, like Trevor story and Francisco Lindor or something oh, like that, man. because that's just, I mean, it's a fantastic what start. About Trev, I mean, what about Story Mondesi or something like that? All those yeah. stolen bases, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, you could you can do that, right? You could do yeah. you could have Fernando Tatis and and Mondesi, right? Um, but I just think you want to you, you just got to think about that, like what that means for the rest of the of the of your of your uh, of your draft. Um, which you know, John's a great player, so I know he's he's thinking about those things too. But I actually. If I had to answer the question like with a very specific answer, I'd say I'd either double up super early on with two of the elite shortstops 
or I'd probably wait because I just think that there's a better value later on so that when you get in this spot where the, the shortstops don't necessarily distinguish themselves that much from the other positions where I'd rather wait and get like a, a Semyon or a Polanco or a De Jong or somebody like that. Um, even a Rojas in your middle infield spot, you know, I don't think that's a necessarily a bad, bad way to go because there's a lot of really good hitters, you know, in the, in the late two hundreds, early three hundreds that you can kind of rotate him in and out with as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, so that's kind of the way that I would approach it. I would, uh, just like to give John a shot at shout out. Uh, he, uh, was one of a couple people who put together a trivia team for the fundraiser for keep playing baseball that you and I participated in Bubba. So shout out to John, um, for doing that and, and donating to a good cause, um, right there. So shout out to him. Great question. Great guy. Really appreciate it, John. And the last thing I'll add to that, that the more, when you were talking about, I started thinking about, I think a fun start would be a first round shortstop, meaning of the top three or four, and then coming back in round like five and getting Javi Baez as your middle infielder. That sounds very tasty. Like very, very, because if Baez comes back even closer to what he used to be, that's a pretty elite combo right there. And, and we've covered like second base is not great. It's it's, yeah. it's it's yeah, it's good if you want to get like one guy, but trusting two guys not ideal. Yeah. So, uh, Sully at Sully underscore is underscore typing asks if you don't draft the upper tiers, Tim Anderson range. Who are some late targets say after pick one fifty? Well, we kind of hit on those. Solely, we had on quite a few of those. So, uh, and, and obviously, there's probably even more that we didn't mention, but uh, there's definitely some we hit on. Yeah, um, yeah. Just to run through them, just in case it's helpful. I mean, Semyon, I think he's not after one one fifty, but I think we both like Cronenworth. We both like Polanco. Mm-hmm. Both like De Jong. Yep. Um, you know, and, and then we mentioned some of the other guys that we like in the spot. I mean, even Jose, Jose Iglesias is going around pick yeah, 380, right? And that's going to um, that's gonna go up now, big time. Yeah. And then J.P. Crawford as well. And you just got to understand what you're getting with these guys. I mean, Iglesias, you know, the batting average is going to be good, you know, but um, it depends on where he hits in the lineup. And the speed hasn't really been there. He's had some knee injuries. So, um, yeah, those, those are, I think, are just things to consider. I also think Chris Taylor is, is pretty mm-hmm. interesting. You know, again, he's he's fairly inconsistent, but that power speed combo position eligibility piece is, is another interesting um, uh, another interesting guy. So, and then two other guys I didn't mention. I'm curious with Iglesias leaving, does that get Pat Vileka more playing time? Who actually hit the ball pretty well last year, mm. and, and he's basically free. I took him in a an NFBC wow. 50 last week, so just something super deep down the line. Think about that one, um, and he's got multi position eligibility all over the place. But the other guy I didn't mention that I'm, I'm curious um, about, and I'll mention him next week because I wrote about him for the Black Book. I did first base and third base. He's got shortstop and third base eligibility, and I will talk about him next week. Willie Castro for the Tigers. Keep an eye on him. He's a, another interesting one to look at. Hey, Bubba, I'm on the clock in my D.C. Ooh, round round, round, um, round 35. Okay. I'm going to go with a with – a, I don't know if it's a podcast favorite, but I'm going to go with a – a, a bat flip crazy special. I'm gonna go with Vinny V. Vinny V, our boy. Vinny our V, boy. Man, Vince just make him a closer. One year. Just make him a closer, please. I'm a believer. All right, I am a believer. Believer, I like it. Believer, believer. Vinny no, V. Yeah, I love Vinny V. No problems with Vinny V uh, at super, all. Super, kind of interesting stuff going on under the hood there with Vinny V. So. 
Uh, and, they just, and they tendered him a contract today. So, which yep. tells me that they see the you know, talent. They see it's there. It's likely to be in the rotation, at least to start sure. off the year. Um, sure, I mean, that price tag, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he right now, Roster Resource has him as the fourth starter with Spencer Howard as the, as the fifth. And um, yeah, I like, I like what he, some of the things he did last year. Yeah. No, I, I would love for him to make it work. It's always that third trip through the order. Things got pretty ugly. So I'm curious, but uh, yeah, I'm a big fan as well. Our buddy David Mendelson, D Mendy OT from Triple Play Fantasy, he asked, "What are your guys' thoughts on Paul Young?" Oh, it's funny you mentioned that, Dave. Uh, we've, 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 we've we've talked about it. Funny you mentioned that guy. Yeah, we like him a lot. Draft him. <laughs> Great value. Great value. Um, Todd Drenth at TW Drenth asked, "Thoughts on loading up in the shortstop pool?" I uh, example, I've got Lindor, Mondesi, and, and Polanco all coming back in the dynasty league. We're fans of that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 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 Totally. I mean, I, I think. Especially in Dynasty, you know, when you're kind of in it for the long haul too, having that type of depth isn't necessarily a bad thing. You could always look to move, you know, one of the things that I like to do in Dynasty Leagues is when guys get like kind of 29-ish, you know, mm-hmm. maybe look to, to move them a little bit because generally speaking, it's only downhillish from there. Um, but um, yeah, and I mean, you can always always pursue different trades and see if you can you can leverage that depth to improve your, your team at different spots, but I don't mind having that. It also depends on how deep the league is. Like is one of those guys going to be able to fit into your util spot on a consistent basis? You know, what, what other guys are available on the wire? Like what is the drop down from them? Because those are the things you want to consider. Cause if there's not that bad, bad of a drop down from like a Polanco and your util to who else you might be able to slide in there, you know, then maybe it's kind of pursue, um, you know, pursue pursue a, a trade or something like that. So I think you could go either way. It's just really dependent on the situation. Yep, but no problem loading up for sure. Our buddy J Dub the Gamer asks IKF Isaiah Kenner Falefa value boosted here. I presume um, for those that uh, don't know the rumors out there, there's rumors that they're going to bench Elvis Andrews and move Kalefa over or Kenner Falefa over to shortstop, which is interesting because he did play like ten games over this past year, so he's got eligibility of both. But he also won a gold glove at third base. His defense is that good. So maybe they, they expect the defense to transfer to shortstop. Good batting average guy. Not a ton of power. A little bit of speed. I loved him in two catcher leagues because he had catcher eligibility last year. So I grabbed mm-hmm. him in a heartbeat. Um, not as in love with him going into this year. He's gone as high as 224, as low as 408, ADP at 316. He'll likely go up if that's Jay's question. I'm just not uh, – there's other guys around him I still want. What about you? What did you say his ADP is right now? Uh, 316 on the month of November is 316. 316. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, a guy who he's super comparable to, I think, is is Miguel Rojas. Um, You know, super contact oriented, not any power whatsoever, maybe slightly more power than like a Rojas um, might have had. But you're looking at a guy who's kind of like a 10 and, you know, yeah, I mean, Steamer has him as kind of a 10 and 15 type guy. And that Rangers lineup is going to be pretty brutal. Um, it's not going to be great, I don't think. So, you know, again, I think he's going about where he should. It's a similar profile to a lot of guys. I don't think the fact that he's moving to shortstop really gives him that much value because I think we we're anticipating he was going to be the starting third baseman. And the one guy who it does impact. Yeah. All over the, Twitter. The guy that I like. Oh, is it? 
Anderson Tejeda? Oh, no. You're different. Everyone's all Josh Jung, Josh Jung, Josh Jung. Oh. Their top pick oh. from like a year ago I, or whatever. I was super into Anderson Tejeda. Um, all young, it sounds like. Guy, young guy coming up very similar to Laoti Tavares, actually, but the cost is much lower. And I mean, it still could open that up. I mean, that's the thing. You could move uh, Tejeda. Well, you know, so so you could do you could move Solak to third, maybe, or you could move Anderson to head at a third, you know, and Solak at second, right? You got to figure out where Rugi fits in, but he kind of sucks. We kind of established that at this point in his career. So, um, so yeah, I don't actually think it changes his value that much because he already had shortstop eligibility at least in NFBC. Um, And so I don't think it changes his value tremendously, but again, like another contact oriented kind of 10, 10, 15 type guy, which, you know, and you should get play every day. So those plate appearances could be there. Yeah. The fact he already has shortstop eligibility, Shouldn't move him up too much. That'd be the biggest thing. Uh, Richard Kolaski asks, being a sucker for the old boring vets, Elvis Andrus appears, uh, appeared to me after pick 300. Now that he is out of a job at shortstop, what are your thoughts? His NFPC ADP is 357. No guarantees for him at second base with Solak and Odor or third base with Jung either. Any other shortstop after pick 300 that grabs your attention? Yeah, I'm going to stay away from Andrus till I hear more. Like if he's not playing, I want nothing to do with him. I don't care what pick it's at. But uh, yeah, after pick three hundred, we've we've mentioned a few. You mentioned Rosario. Uh, you like Rojas. I like both. I like Iglesias quite a bit. Um, there, there, there's definitely some back here. Any other guys that we haven't mentioned? Not really. I mean, yeah, I would stay away from Andrews too. I just worry he's hitting that that point in time now where he's thirty two. That speed is going to go a little bit, which is really his. And that's really why you draft him, right? Um, and then potentially the batting average, but. Without access to frequent playing time, at least right now, I, I don't necessarily see him having the same type of ceiling that some of the other guys, you know, although, you know, shot in the dark, mid 300s pick, I guess it's fine. I don't know. You can't really make a bad pick there, I don't think necessarily. Yeah. I mean, you know, so. Yeah, I'm with you there. Our buddy MS at SMMS79, frequent questioner of the show, which we much appreciate. I'm going to put on my Liverpool hat. There you go. Um, With so much talent to be had in the top 50 to 75 picks, what horses do you back to return the most value? One of the big three or four in the first round or someone on the outside looking in of the top 15? So basically, would you rather take one of the guys in the top three or four for the return of value or someone post 15? Uh, Post 15. Post top 15. I mean, this is me, but like – I think either one, I think I would take either one of those approaches I think is right. And I think the thing that the thing to be cautious of is not to, I don't think you should think about value that early on in drafts, right? True. Like when you're bad, when you're drafting that early on in drafts, what you're really looking for from my perspective is you're looking for those guys who do things that other guys can't. Yep. Right. And the shortstops are a really good way to do go about that because we, we covered a litany of guys that are power speed combo with batting average. I mean, they're phenomenal five category contributors. They all just happen to be shortstops. So I think that's perfectly fine. So I think you can go that direction or you, or you go later on. I don't like the middle-ish yep. part of the, of the shortstops, like kind of the front. Well, I mean, that's not necessarily true because Javi Baez, you know, yep. is another example. Of well, guy it, it's, it's hit and miss, but it's not as strong as it was before where like you could, I remember last year, I'd have to go back and look at my rankings. It was like 12 or 13 deep where I was like, I think any of these guys like in a heartbeat. And this year, you kind of have to second guess a few of them for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I'm with you. And and you mentioned the five category things. That's like a big most drafters have. But I know for myself, I want five category guys as much as possible early in my early rounds. And sh- these shortstop guys do it better than anybody. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm a big fan of that as well. So no, no problem with that. Our buddy Yancey Eaton at Yancey Eaton. Impossible to know for sure, but what are your guys projecting for Wander Franco? Uh, his 2021 playing time, and where is the earliest you'll take him? I was looking at some prospect lists, and he is like number one on all of them, which is neat. Yeah, he's the top prospect. He's absolutely awesome. He's amazing. But um, I usually don't take these kind of guys early on. That's just me. But he's going to be very good. I still like I, I like Willie Adamas. The other big, big factor is um, Jason Collette, Mr. Ray himself, also mentioned it on a recent Sleeper in the Bus that the, it's the Rays' way. He will not be up any earlier than his call-up date to be a, you know that extra season of eligibility. So, And it might even be after that. So he's not starting the year out with the Rays, and you've got to wait and see. And, and when it's stuff like that, it's really hard for me to, to draft players. But uh, what say you? Yeah, well, I'm just looking at his steamer projection. You know, steamer has him for 400 plate appearances, you know, seven home runs, eight stolen bases. I think my struggle with um, Franco is obviously he's the number one prospect on pretty much everybody's rankings. And I think he's going to be exceptionally good throughout his career. I just wonder a little bit about um, how long it'll take for him to develop into like a power guy. Cause I think he'll get there, but I just don't know if he's there right now. Like he hasn't really demonstrated that, you know, nine home runs combined in 2019. Um, obviously, you know, a miss 2020, he's shown a little bit of pop just from the videos that I've seen in the Dominican league. So I think there's a little bit of it there. Um, I do worry a little bit about the ground ball rate uh, above, you know, kind of average for major league baseball. So in 2018, it was at 43%. 2019, 48%, uh, both stops in 2019, 48%. And so, you know, with that type of an approach and maybe not necessarily like fully uh, matured into that power, I think he's more of a batting average uh, speed guy, but he's never had overwhelming speed as I understand it, at least from his stolen base uh, numbers. Um, He hasn't necessarily shown that in the minors doesn't mean it's going to translate, but it just leaves me with enough questions where where he's going right now, like you, I probably will shy away from drafting him. Again, every year I shy away from the top draft picks in drafting them, and I always get burned from from doing that. So uh, be cognizant of that. But that's kind of how I, I, I would kind of approach him. I think the steamer projection maybe is a little bit light on batting average. Um, and with that, maybe stolen bases a little bit. But I don't necessarily see him as a difference maker this year yeah and that, that's my biggest thing since the rays he only misses a month or whatever cool but you're still asking him to do everything that's right like you said 97 games there, there's a lot of question marks there now if the season gets shortened or whatever we get to that point might be a different discussion that that's a whole different animal um but until then i'm gonna go with the assumption no like he's gonna miss by a couple months and i'll, I'll just pass on that one our last to see where he plugs in too, because they have Adamus obviously at shortstop, and yep. he's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And then they have Brandon Lau at second base, you know, who hits the same side as um, you know, who's a lefty as well there. So just curious how they're gonna mix and match with the lineup. The Rays are very creative, so they'll find a way, but you know, that may 
and I think they're going to be really good again next year. And so the question is how, how much, um, how much push is there to get him into that lineup, you know, early on, like Bubba mentioned. No doubt about it. Uh, the last question from our buddy, Dave Petroziello. Um, it's, it's tough. I'll give, I'll, I'll say this before I even ask the question. This is a tough one to give a definitive answer in December on December 2nd. But, the answer is yes, but we will, but we will. The answer, we the answer is yes, yes, it is. Yes. Always. Yes. Uh, but he asked, who is this year's Dansby Swanson? He's a little more expensive this year, so I have to find an economy version. Do you have a Dansby Swanson? Swanson? Well, it depends what you mean. If you mean like kind of later shortstop. I think we've talked about him a lot. I'm just going to take that to take that jump up. I mean, we've talked so much about guys, but I think, you know, the guy who will get you that type of value, I could see De Jong doing that. Yeah, that's the I could see Polanco doing it. I mean, that's why we're talking about those guys. The guy who I think shares probably the most similar profile, like in terms of what he will contribute compared to what Dansby's going to contribute, would be Marcus Semyon. I think there's very similarities in terms of kind of like 25 to 30 home run power, 10 stolen bases, depending on which team he lands, maybe a little bit more, um, contributes a lot, you know, a lot of counting stats. And then the batting average is the one major question mark. So I think those are three guys that are, going at different points in the draft to, for whatever reason, have similarities to what we saw from Dansby last year. Um, yeah. As always, Toby nailed it. I uh, absolutely love that. That's perfect. Um, I think DeYoung was the one that was, that was on the top of my head big time. Yeah, Simeon's right. a great comp as well. Uh, like, yeah, DeYoung, just because the power that he can bring that I, I believe in more than Polanco's value, but Polanco probably does a little a couple other things better than DeYoung does. So it's kind of a, a wishy-washy trade. I'd go De Jong in that one for sure. Like Simeon's the best. Like he does a little bit of everything, like you said. So um, yeah, that that uh, that sums it up uh, perfectly. But all right, that'll wrap us up. Shortstop preview in the books. Um, wow. we, I'm, I'm impressed. We went an hour thirty five. I thought this would have been much much longer for shortstop. But we answered a lot of the uh, interesting questions and good strategy. Like I like that a lot. Not just players. There was a lot of thought process behind it, and it'll get deeper once we go into uh, more positions. Then we recap later. But to any parting thoughts for your uh, the first look at the shortstop position? I don't think so. Interesting position, you know, and I think it's a really good reflection of kind of value versus depth, you know. Um, uh, and so, yeah, really interesting. And, yeah, I'm glad we covered it quickly. I mean, our efficiency is ruthless, I would say, on the podcast. Um, I'd like to... I'd like to compliment myself on being very efficient with my words. I tend to use very few words in describing things <laughs> and not going on tangents at all. So that's why we kept it to such a short podcast this time around. Hey, we're that making progress, though. We're that. making progress. Last, last, no. year, last year's previews were like two to two and a half hours. We're making progress. Well, I mean, and that goes to Bubba, you, I think, in your um, – I'm serious here because – I think the way you've set it up where we kind of cover the top 10, like what to expect, identify a few guys in the middle, right? And then some guys later on. And then as we get closer to the season, then we're going to go through it again with a fine tooth comb and kind of identify where they're making shifts and get a little more in depth into guys that, that based on a little bit more knowledge we like. And so kudos well, to you. Look, well, I appreciate that, but to make it even better, the reason I can make that outline is because of the questions from the listeners. Because I know Ooh. they're going to cover they're going to cover the stuff I don't have to make a comment about. Because literally, most of the outline they already cover in questions, let alone other stuff. So they do it for us. 
And that's what makes it beautiful. I love our listeners. Yep. You know, and the that's best. the difference between me and you is you are thanking our listeners for their contribution. <laughs> I'm thanking myself for the efficiency of my words. No, I, that is a great point. That was the, I mean, our listeners are the absolute best. If you're listening to this podcast, I hope you realize that you if are. If you're the still best. listening at this point of the podcast, I hope you realize yeah. you're the best. <laughs> you're the best at what you do. Whatever it is in the world that you do, chances are, I'd say the median projection is that you are the best at what you do. All right. So if we're looking at max exit median projections of this. You are uh, the best. For sure. For sure. Number one. All right. We're going to wrap it up there before we keep going down rabbit holes. Uh, you can you can check out Toby on Twitter at Bath of Crazy and the Bath of Crazy podcast. I'm on Twitter at BDentric and the Bench with Bubba podcast. So go check them both out. And uh, we'll be back with you next week as we head to the hot corner, third base. It's a little more fun than people will give it credit for. But uh, we'll see you guys next week. Hope you have a good one. And we're out. That is going to wrap us up for episode 156 of the Batflip Crazy podcast and the early season preview of the shortstop uh, position. That was that was a really fun one. Always a great time uh, talking fantasy baseball with Bubba and, as we mentioned at the end, with our listeners, who are the best listeners and the best people uh, in the entire universe. I think it's, uh, it's pretty clear that that is the case. Um, so thank you all for listening. Next week we are going to dive into third base, another interesting position, as we go around the horn here uh, for different positions. Um, after that, we'll go on to outfield, and then we'll get into some pitching. So it should be a fun, fun month coming up on the podcast right here. Um, all right. Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research. If you are drafting right now, best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball drafts. Take care and be kind to one another.